0: welcome to the strut south podcast today on the show we've got zach farenbaugh and he's with the hunting public today we get on here and we talk about all kind of different things that these guys do and they i mean they really really get into a lot of detail with the stuff that they do they have a youtube channel and what these guys do man they just they get out there and they hunt public land and they really really get after it this episode here is really good it's awesome Zach is uh, he's got a wealth of knowledge in the experiences that he's had so hopefully you guys will get something out of this and uh hope you guys enjoy and before we get into it I'm gonna go ahead and warn you guys the uh, audio i don't know what happened we had a lot of issues with it as i was trying to edit the audio and all that stuff and there's a couple of times where the um him and myself were trying to talk and it's just running together but it's not too bad hopefully you guys will still be able to get past that and um, it actually cut us off right at the end of the episode so the part where we're actually like saying our you know goodbyes and saying thanks for coming on all that good stuff it uh it cut all of that out so instead of trying to bother Zach to get him back on and redo it and all this stuff I just figured I would just go ahead and put it up here and uh, just fix the very end of it and plug it for those guys so right there at the end that's what I'll be doing I'll just plug it for them and let you know all where you can get a hold to them and check out their content but but yeah it's a great episode so you guys enjoy all right guys welcome to episode 21 we have zach farinball with the hunting public on here with us we're going to talk to him today about some hunting public land and all kind of other stuff deer hunting wise so oh, not what's much up, just
1: having the morning coffee here and pretty sunny morning so feeling good feeling optimistic for the rest of the day
0: <laughs> good deal is it um no. is it cold yeah, up there where
1: y'all are right it now it's like seven degrees last night i think so it is not warm man man yes
0: yeah, it's, it's like 40 yeah. degrees here yeah, that sounds so. like the beach um <laughs> yeah yeah compared to there i mean but uh, that's actually some too you know we we will probably get into uh deer and temperature and stuff like that i think uh i think deer down here is mm-hmm. kind of different you know you deer down here i don't i don't think they like if it does get in the mm-hmm. teens down
1: here i don't yeah, think i deer like agree it with that. i could i can definitely see that being being a thing i don't think they love it i don't think they love it here but you know we're been talking lately about you know deer and where they want to be on on sunny days and you know a day like today here it's really really cold it's like seven degrees or it was seven degrees at night so i think the first light this morning you know it probably wasn't more than 12 or something and you know, if you got a sunny day like today and you got that cold weather, it seems like a lot of times those deer want to be around the sun, you know, they want to be on a hillside where there's some sun and, you know, it's kind of something that's been pretty consistent, I guess, even in, even in November on really cold days, you know, and it's, it's, uh, you know, we don't see, I wouldn't say on public land, on pressured land, we see a ton of, like, like really long range movement to food sources like, you know, you might see on public or private land in this area on these cold days, but, you know, they're still up and moving and they, you know, the the cold weather definitely gets them on their feet and may not necessarily mean that they're moving, you know, half mile to a corn, corn cornfield, but, you know, they'll be, they'll be up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times too, I think if you can, if you can get, if you've got like a really cold morning mm-hmm. where there's like a real heavy frost, mm-hmm. if, uh, a lot of times where that sun, wherever that sun hits yeah. first, that's usually, that's usually where they're going to be. I remember days, man, back in the day we would hunt big, big, huge tracts of cutover land. And I mean, it was, it was almost like, you know, shooting mm-hmm. fish in a barrel, man. It was like, as soon as that that's sun come there. up, on those heavy frosty morning yeah just look wherever that sun's hitting first and i mean them deer they just they just glow like oh yeah that's
1: what we were doing we just got a buck uh two two mornings ago they kind of like today sunny and cold and we got in there and as soon as the sun started hitting that opposite hillside and that's kind of how we were set up you know we were set up to be able to shoot the sunny hillside and Sure enough, deer started working around that hillside, and we caught a buck kind of cruising back to his bedding area and got a shot at him. But that's, you know, that was a lot of the strategy was based off of where that sun was hitting because, you know, if you're back in the shadows in this time of the year, you know, the sun doesn't hit every hillside. You know, it it's pretty cool really? in some areas, and when it's the sun's not hitting it and it's 7 degrees, I mean, it's cold, so they're not going to, you know can eliminate a lot of stuff really quickly and you know I also think as the sun kind of moves throughout the day and exposes different you know hillsides or little you know maybe maybe different parts of a bowl or something within the terrain you know those deer are going to get up and move and that's something that we we saw the day before we shot that buff in that area was deer getting up and moving you know kind of as the as the sun changed and as the You know, as thermals changes, everything kind of changes, wind changes, you know, they're getting up and moving. And it's just so cold, they're not going to bed down all day. I mean, that's just the simple fact of it all. It's like, when it's that cold, nothing can stand to just lay there in one spot for hours and hours on end.
0: Yeah, they got to get up, they got to get up and do something. That's for sure. So I guess, I mean, you guys are kind of known for... Mm-hmm. hunting public land I guess since uh since your yeah. name's the hunting public but uh um <laughs> uh, but I guess we'll just kick it off with the the biggest topic I guess is what is what is the one thing the one biggest thing you guys look for when you're going into hunting a piece of public land um
1: I think it's I think it's pretty cliche but it is just I guess it, it continues to be the most important thing. It's like, where is the hunting pressure at and where is it coming from? You know, it's, it's one of these things where obviously you want to be, if you're on public land, you want to be where there's um, a lack of pressure in some instances, but there's other times too. Like right now, our main focus is gun season and gun hunting tactics. And, you know, this time of the year, we really shift to, few different tactics that we don't necessarily use as much during bow season and that's kind of hunting escape routes you know from where based off where that pressure is coming from where we expect people to be you know moving moving around on the piece but you know ultimately what it in some in some fashion every time we go out we're looking at where people are coming from because that's going to help kind of tell us where those deer are going to get pushed back to where they're going to feel comfortable moving around in daylight and you know on even on different scales of pressure you know from light pressure on public land to very heavy pressure if we're focusing on you know step one looking at where that hunting pressure is coming from where we've been able to find at least find deer to hunt and find bucks to hunt everywhere we've been this year even on varying you know levels of pressure so i think for a starting point, that's always the number one thing, and then past that, I guess once we start, okay. So let's say we've got, let's say we've got a thousand acres, two thousand acres, and we narrow it down to a thousand based off of where you know we eliminate a bunch of stuff because we think, you know, it's been hit hard by other hunters. And our next thing is we're just kind of looking for, um, I guess, habitat diversity. Whatever has the most habitat diversity, those are the spots that we tend to find the most deer, the most bucks. I would really go say that for Turkey as well. I mean, all the same, all the same things that I just said are exactly what we do for Turkey as well. I mean, it's the initial strategy is pretty much exactly the same. Look for where there's the hunting pressure, where it's coming from, how you can use it to your advantage and then look for that habitat diversity. And you're going to find bucks where where you find turkeys, you find bucks generally. So pretty much how it, I mean, yeah. that's how it goes. It seems.
0: Yeah, I I think a lot of people, in which I mean my, myself included, I've I've kind of changed my ways of thinking about turkeys a little bit over the past couple of years. But uh, I think, especially down here in the South, I mean turkeys turkeys will go through some really, really? thick stuff, a, a lot thicker than you would oh, think. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, uh, and and that's another thing, you know, I think just like you said, turkeys, I mean, it's kind of the same with deer. Um, you guys, a lot of times y'all will see um, like deer actually really close to the very beginning of an yep. access point. And uh, a lot of times that's the same exact way for turkeys too. I mean, I know, I don't know how many times, I mean, I I turkey hunt way more on public land than Mm -hmm. I deer hunt, and man, I can't tell you how many times I have went in to a piece of public land right as somebody was leaving, like, just got done hunting, and I'll pull in right behind them and strike up a turkey
1: and go Mm -hmm. kill one or something, you know, so. Yeah, and I think, I think being able to, you know, there's a, there's a bit of there's a lot I I think a lot of fine details that are almost impossible to explain when you're looking and kind of getting that feel of like is there other hunting pressure in here you know you got to be looking for like very small details like looking through a creek bottom to look for other boot tracks you know looking looking to tell if a trail is a human trail or a deer trail you know seeing if You know, finding trash out there or whatever. I mean, it's finding an old stand, finding, you know, somebody's like old drag line or something, you know, like there's all sorts of little fine details that you can get in there and there's a, there's a certain feel. It's a place that is really good, has that you can just, you can just tell there's been nobody around there for a long time. And when you find that, it's a good feeling, gives you confidence at least
0: yeah um uh, now well since you were saying that you, you i don't know you you might be able to hear my dog <laughs> barking outside That's but, right. <laughs> uh, but since you were saying that um w- with the public land that y'all hunt i mean i know there's up there where you guys are there's probably way more um tracks of public than there is here
1: uh, yeah i don't and, know uh, there's we actually we we're lucky because we hunt a and it, it probably seems like we hunt a lot more because we we hunt like a pretty wide variety of land types for this area. I mean, we basically can hunt wet areas, you know, slightly hilly areas like rolling, like light rolling hill areas with more timber. And then we can hunt kind of marsh, you hunt rivers, you know, we, we can hunt a broad range of stuff, but in reality, I think the... In the total acreage that we hunt is probably only, I mean, total, all these pieces put together is maybe 30,000, I I couldn't tell you an exact number, but it's not as many, it's not a ton of land, it's just a bunch of diverse stuff, you know, so you can go from one habitat type to another, where I think in some, you know, a lot of other states you get more, I know, like, even Missouri, just to the south of us, there's, you know, Mark Twain National Forest, which is tons and, ton, you know, tons of acres and um, thousands and thousands of acres. So, you know, I think in reality we actually have a pretty low, you know, a pretty low or small amount of public land in the area. It's just really diverse.
0: Yeah. Yeah. See, and that's another thing I was going to say was, see here is it's actually a little bit of a benefit you were talking about um trying to figure out where the mm-hmm. hunting pressure is um here or at least at least the public land that's really close to where i live it's i mean i'm literally 20 minutes away from about i'd say i don't know maybe three thousand nice. acres yeah. of public land and uh but it's it's on a it's, uh the Army sure. Corps of engineers they they run the they run a lake and they built a dam you know and all the property that's around that lake is all most mm-hmm. of it is huntable and but the cool thing about this place is they 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 keep it pretty organized so each place you go most of them I'd say eighty percent of all of the little bitty tracks that you can hunt. They all have yeah. like sign-in station, check-in station, and stuff in- like that's that. That's pretty interesting. But, I have
1: a friend that's living in Illinois right now, and he hunts an area that you have to sign into, and and I I think that brings a whole, <laughs> it brings a whole new like way of learning about how many people are hunting an area that I've never experienced. You know, because it's like a lot of times you get to an area here or where I grew up in Ohio, and it's like, well. You're basing it off of like what you can find. You're but you're essentially, I think, a lot of areas if you don't have to sign in, you have to almost become. You know, I think to be to 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 put yourself into the best positions that you possibly can. You got to just learn how to scout for all things, not just deer or turkey. You got to look for people. You got to look for the way people are coming in. I mean, you got to kind of be a detective out there and look for because there's also you know there's also going to be other guys that are being pretty sneaky and low impact you know so if you can kind of avoid oh, yeah. those areas you're just you know if you can avoid all hunters you know you're you're up in your odds in in every situation i guess you know and that may be it may be close to the road it may be a mile away it's just you got to find you got to you got to become pretty effective at finding where people are going to be and a lot of times i mean we're looking at we're going down the road, looking in the road ditch to see if somebody's pulled off the road. I mean looking at stuff like that, looking to see how where people are coming from, where their you know, their access routes are, all that stuff is, is super important and you know, just the more and more experience you get hunting public land, the better at kind of avoiding human human pressure is becomes easier and easier, I guess. And like I said, at yeah. a certain point you you can almost just get a set you can just sense it almost you know you can tell nobody's been in there yeah, like you right?
0: just know yeah mm-hmm. you just know and um i mean that's kind of the i mean that is a great benefit for here where i'm the public land that i mm-hmm. hunt i mean it's but but then again i mean when people are there and they're signing in you actually depending on how big the the track is i mean you know it's it's you you go in, you sign in. It's got a map and it's broke up into <laughs> sections, and you just you know sign your name, your tap, your whatever your tag number is for your vehicle, and you write down where you're <laughs> gonna hunt. And but then again, I mean, that's great. But those people that are signing in, they have to. You have to trust that right. they're gonna be honest yeah. about I think what that they're writing. Throw down. Me
1: off big time, man. I think I would be like super surprised at how many people actually were there because i think oftentimes you know we're looking for we're looking for places And, and i think there's a lot of times where truly we 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 think we're at a place nobody's been but somebody could have been in there two days before i mean that's a fun that's the fun thing about public land is like no matter how like there's there's definitely times let's put it this way where i think we we think that there's been nobody there but there probably has been, and, yeah. and in our mind, we're like, "Oh, there's been, been nobody here for a month," you know, and like there might have been there might have been ten yeah. guys in there pushing it out two days before, and they might have just been, you know, a little bit slyer with their sign that they were leaving behind, and you know, and it might freak, it might actually, I think it would freak me out a little bit to actually see, a le- like a legit number of how many people were in a place because I'd be, I think it would. You know, it'd be something that you'd have to get a feel for. Let's put it that way. Like, if you have that opportunity to see, you know, how many guys are in a specific piece, it's like it's something you'd have to get a feel for. Like, okay, you know, forty guys in here in the last month is is average or or below average. Like, it it would take some time to kind of learn that. It would take a season or maybe even tier three to. I feel like to really effectively get a feel for like what was a lot of pressure for that area.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, that's, it it surprises Mm -hmm. me sometimes. And uh, sometimes I'll, like when I go to sign in, and this is strictly mostly for turkey hunting, but I mean, the same can be applied for deer. And when I look at the sheets and I'm like, man, there's been like 40 people in here on on opening weekend in the last three days. And I'm like, golly, man! I'm not gonna see anything. I'm not gonna hear any turkeys. And some sometimes it it will it will make me say, okay, well, I'm sure. just gonna go somewhere else. And but but then again, sometimes I'll I'll be like, okay, whatever. And then I'll just mm-hmm. go and hunt anyway, and and you know have at least see or hear something. And to me, that's oh, success. Yeah. So. Um. But uh, well, I guess we'll switch over and we'll talk a little bit about some deer yeah. sign. And I think my my biggest question. I mean, I, I've seen all your guys' videos, and it may be my fault for probably not paying attention enough. But and and I have a lot of people ask me too about buck mm-hmm. bedding and what is. What is the difference between a buck bed and a
1: doe bed? Well, I think the the f- first thing to point out is that, you know, I don't we, – we refer to buck beds a lot, but we're more or less referring to, like, general um, – we're referring to a deer bed still. Like, a, in a doe will use a buck bed. A small buck will use what a mature – you know, the same bed a mature buck will. For example, um, just – two or three days ago we were going into a spot to hunt and we were walking in and logan spotted a buck kind of milling around out of his bed i was filming logan and, and um he was he spotted this buck he was on a on a secondary point exactly where you would expect the deer to be bedded on that point and he was just kind of milling around up out of his bed and he bedded back down and he was a he was I don't know. We could never really get a really great look at his antlers and his body. So, like, we didn't know what exactly he was, but we figured he was something that we would probably shoot. And as we were watching him and trying to make a game plan of how we were going to move, another buck, a a bigger, at least a bigger antlered buck, came down the hill, bumped him right out of that bed, and laid in the exact spot that he was laying. And I think that just kind of goes to show that there's a lot of times a preferred bed, and any deer that is going to be able to, you know, take advantage of that location is going to do it. So, for example, if you have the, if you find the bedding area that, you know, the deer prefer the most, that's likely what we end up, you know, dubbing as the buck bed, you know, because it's got, all the factors that a mature buck wants to be able to bed there and have, you know, he's got cover, he's got escape routes, he's got advantage, he's got a you know a, a sighted advantage, he's got a wind advantage from that bed, and I think once you're actually looking for you know specific, you're looking at exact exact location of where they lay down. One way that you can tell that. You know, you've got more bucks bedding there than does is just simply the nature of the bed. Like, if you find a huge bed <clears throat> that's alone and it's got rubs in it, it's got scrapes around it, on the exit trails going away from it, you know, that's when you start saying, okay, a buck has ha- is making a habit of bedding here. Now, if you find, like, a spot that, you know, may not seem like the best bedding location but you're finding beds and you're finding small beds kind of in a circular fashion that's that's oftentimes what we would call the doe beds but again it's not to say that like i think i think i think that there's some people that hear buck beds and they think like we're talking about this location where a deer you know this mature buck walks in in the dark beds down lays there never moves until it gets dark and then he gets up again at dark and then he walks away from the bed you know that's not necessarily the case and 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 it's definitely not the case that he goes to that same exact spot every single day of his life i mean factors change constantly and buck beds change and shift throughout the season shift throughout the day in some in some situations you know or you know a lot a lot of times they'll move a little bit and i think The biggest thing that you got to remember when you're hunting buck bedding areas is you're finding a location where a buck does, you know, a mature buck for your area, he trusts that spot. I don't think that you want to go into an area and expect to see a mature buck every single day in that spot. You know, it's just, it's just going to have to be, you got to hit it on the right conditions for him to want to be there ultimately. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, but it was actually, go ahead. actually, uh, you were saying that, you know, like you were saying that deer trust that spot. I mean, this is kind of off the topic of betting, but you were saying, you know, that deer trust that spot and that, um, that Facebook live that you did, you guys did mm-hmm. yesterday, I think you were y'all were talking about that you know if you bump a deer and y'all see him coming back mm-hmm. a, a lot more times than not you'll see yep. him coming back and, and that's what y'all were saying you know you think that's wise because he he's there because yeah logan yeah.
1: logan chimed in last night and said something that you know we talk about a lot and we and we we kind of just missed it yesterday but he brought, he just kind of reiterated the fact that you know they win in that situation that you bump them you know if you bump a buck out of his bed he won like it it worked for him you know so he's going to continue right, to trust right. that now if you continue to bump a buck out of his bed time and time again or you continue to bump deer out of that area so like something that i that i see often and in in an exact situation of what like we 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 were kind of talking about yesterday the exact two hunts we went in for an evening hunt we were still hunting down an edge uh, transition line. Ended up seeing a buck, a big buck in a in a bed. He stood up. He heard he heard something. He stood up out of his bed. We got eyes on him. We stopped. We waited. We had a stare down with him, and he literally bedded right back down in that same spot. And we were sixty yards from him. And long story short, we ended up ended up calling to him. Tried a couple of different things, you know, kind of calling tactics and couldn't get him to stand up started running out of daylight so we decided to move in on the buck and we spotted him but it was a little bit too late he bounded off and we were hunt you know that was we weren't too afraid of him even if he if he jumped up and <clears throat> he jumped up ran to about I don't know 70 80 yards didn't have another didn't have another shot at him away stopping and the next thing you know he's chasing a doe and he had kind of already forgot about us you know he never really knew what was going on because he didn't smell us he just kind of heard saw something that he didn't like got out of there but then by the time he's 400 yards away he doesn't care anymore you know he knows he's safe he knows he won now we went in there the next morning with kind of the intent to get closer to the next spot up you know how does he you know kind of where we bumped him the direction we bumped him from we figured he would be up just another you know bedding location you know away from the spot we bumped him and sure enough he was in there the next day just just maybe oh the quarter mile from where from where we bumped him we saw him the next morning and I think that's something that you know, we see we see quite often, and I've I actually listened to um, J- Jared Jared Sheffler. He's a he does not the, the um, whitetail adrenaline, and he does a lot of hunting on the ground, real aggressive stuff, especially during the rut. You know, I've heard him talk multiple times about you know bumping a a buck, and then you know, especially during the rut, they forget about you quickly. And I've started kind of hunting these areas more like where in the past you know we'd hunt one area for a day see bucks and then maybe you know back out and give it a break we've been doing a little bit more this year of just like finding a spot where there's a lot of deer a lot of bucks and then we kind of continue to hunt it and continue to bounce around we all have done that this year and we've all seen you know pretty good results from doing that but but the key is being being mobile and bouncing to these different bedding locations you know we've got these places previously scouted out or we 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 kind of you know cyber scout them or whatever and then you know we kind of have ideas where we think these deer are going to be bedding and then we just continue to move around there and we generally find either the same bucks even if we even if we are bouncing bedding areas or we find different bucks within you know these different areas but you know, I think. I think it's often the, there's a misconception that if you bump a deer, he's you know you hear, oh, he ran in the next county. Well, you know, I don't think. I think if a buck was always running from hunting pressure and just continuing to run, he'd I mean, he'd never uh, he'd end up miles and miles and miles away, and that's just not the case. I think the only time that they really leave is when they get on a hot doe i think that they may leave you know the general bed or the general bedding area for maybe maybe a week maybe two weeks but they're generally not that far and if you're hunting a big piece of public land where there's multiple bedding areas on that piece of public land you can continue to bounce around and you can continue to find the deer i mean they a lot of times they're not going as far as as you may think let's put it that way yeah, I mean, I definitely used to I be actually... worried about bumping deer and, like, was super worried. It's like, oh, we bumped one. We better give this a break. Let's come back in the next few days where now it's like you bump one, or, or especially if you lightly bump one, like, just go right back in there and maybe just move to the next spot down, you know, or, to, and that's kind of hard to explain. And sometimes, some situations it's 400 yards. Sometimes it's a thousand yards. Sometimes it's a, you know, half a, whatever, half a mile, whatever, but it's, it's, it's not as, I think oftentimes it's not as detrimental if you lightly bump a buck as, as you might think, you know.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I've i had several occasions where the deer, they just didn't right. care. Like, you know, you kind of bump them and then they just stare at you for a second and then they just keep going right about and they've business. won now and... they know that you're there
1: they've won they know how to avoid you know they can avoid that spot for the rest of the day maybe the next week or so but you know they'll be back there at some point and they're not you know i think you know we talk about a lot you know mature bucky trusts that area you know he's grown up in that area more or less and you know they're they're a lot of times their 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 range kind of where they're bedding their their prime bedding locations somewhat shrinks you know when they're two and three year old bucks or or you know kind of the step down i guess the step down from a mature buck kind of the middle of the middle of the road buck for whatever that age is in that in the area that you're hunting you know that buck moves a lot especially during the rut he's cruising he's covering ground he's kind of being silly you know he's he's just cruising looking for does and and putting himself into some bad situations if he's being hunted. But, you know, your mature buck, he kind of, he knows where the does live. He knows where he's going to be safe. So his area kind of shrinks down a little bit and he's still moving bedding areas, especially, you know, if you look at it season long, but, you know, they trust that location for a reason. It's got everything they need. It's got water, it's got cover, it's got, you know, escape routes. It's got does. The big thing is, a lot of times, it comes down to the does. You know, it's got other deer that insulate him in there. He feels safe, and they're never. They're just. I think, I think it it. It's 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 interesting to see how many people I think are so so afraid of bumping deer when, you know, to a certain degree, there are days seriously when we're halfway trying to bump deer. Just trying to see where they're, where, you know, get back into an area. And once you start bumping deer, it's like, right. hey, now we're getting into them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So
0: a lot of times, a lot of times that's usually the, the, not, I won't say the number one way, but most of the time, wow, that's really loud. <laughs> <laughs> my coffee, my coffee maker's going. <laughs> uh, but most of the time, uh, that's how you find out deer are there is by bumping them and seeing them run off. Yeah. And, Cause sometimes you might not even know to be looking in an area for a deer and then boom. Oh yeah. There's deer. been, so, so
1: that hunt that I was just talking about where we spotted the buck, um, we were still hunting and he heard us and stood up and then we ended up bumping him and uh, bumping him. Once we started to move in on him, actually that, that buck, Maybe, maybe all oh, sixty to a hundred yards from him, we very lightly nudged a doe, and that's when we knew to start really slowing down. And she must have just trotted out of there. She never blew or anything. She just, you know, lightly got bumped. Knew something wasn't right. We saw her bound a couple times, and then I'm assuming she just kind of walked off. You know, that was a time when we knew, okay, it's time to get serious now, and it's funny when she jumped we were actually like kind of making sure everything was geared up we were ready to go we had we were putting like a battery in the ca- a different different battery in the camera when when we were stopped when she jumped up so we were timing it right you know we knew we were getting close and when she jumped we knew that okay we're going to be in deer here shortly and then that also I mean that happened on whatever December somewhere in the first 5 days of December but all the way back in the first five days of september logan and i were hunting in nebraska and the same thing happened we bumped into some does and we just hung we just hung real real loose just hung out there for like 15 minutes to a half hour you know and we'd actually bumped several does they jumped up out of a bedding area and they had they had uh you know escaped to the bedding area and they had they had blown at us you know snorted and run off and we were just kind of hanging out sitting there being patient not to bump anything else and as that happened a buck a shooter buck stood up out of his bed stood there surveyed the area and then just slowly try, you know escaped and moved bedding areas he didn't know what had happened he had just heard that other deer had got up he hung tight and then once everything had calmed back down literally like 15 minutes later He stood up out of that bed and then just slowly moved to the next bed. And actually an interesting thing about that specific buck, he was a buck that we saw, I think totally we ended up seeing him four different times. But basically what we were doing, and and we had bumped him. We actually bumped him the day before season. And we just kind of got, you know, a direction of where we knew where he was bedded. We bumped him from that bed we were going into scout before season and we bumped him before or be- going into scout bumped him before season. But then once we started hunting back there, we just pushed back to the next likely location and we ended up finding him that day. And then we ended up, see- you know, we saw him that day, get up out of that bed. And then we ended up hunting him the next morning and he was right back in that same location. So I think bumping deer, you know, don't, if you bump deer, don't panic. A lot of times, if you hang out and just hang loose you can see stuff like that you can catch deer kind of getting up behind the other deer slowly escaping a bedding area and you know i just think that i just think that it's a a strategy that can be really effective is just like really really figuring out what was going on when you bumped the deer and by sitting there thinking about it thinking about the way the wind's blowing and all, all that you can learn a lot from jumping deer and i think you know, at the end of the day, I say this often. It's like, I would almost rather, I, at the yeah, really at the end of the day, I would rather spook a buck than go hunting, sit back, try to play it safe, and not see anything. Because you learn more from your mistakes than, you know, your, than playing it safe, I think. You know, if you play it safe all the time and you're doing too many observations, I think observations are great and And then can be very beneficial, but if you're doing that too much and you're playing it safe, then at some point you're not learning anything new you're just uh you know if you're especially if you're not if the observations aren't producing you know buck sightings, I think you know you're better off at some point to get aggressive, try to learn a little bit more, even if you fail because if you fail and you bump something and you feel like you were super intrusive to the spot, just skip down to the next one you know or skip to the next spot you know and just keep bouncing around keep learning because by bumping deer you learn a lot in my opinion
0: oh yeah yeah I, and, and i think too i mean another part of that is uh not necessarily just walking through bumping deer but um when you're trying to like look at bedding and all that stuff and looking for sign but if it's deer in the rut <clears throat> and there's a hot doe mm-hmm. around, I think, I mean, a lot of times you can, you can get away with murder. Oh yeah. And sometimes in bucks, they just, they don't have a care um, in the world. Like you can be looking at them standing 50 yards from them and they won't, they yeah. won't do anything. I remember, I remember one time I was hunting, I hunted that morning and I got down and I was, Walking up the edge, I I told myself, I'm like, I'm going to get down and, you know, walk the edge of this pasture and see if there's any fresh sign here. And because it was a known spot, we knew the deer liked to come out in this particular spot. So I'm walking and this, this property, the owner of the property, his house is in Uh the pasture. It's about a, it's about a 20, 25 acre pasture and, uh, it's just, it's, there's nothing in it. I mean, it's just grass, like just grasses mm-hmm. and whatnot. But um, he, I, I was walking up the edge of this pasture and I'm all the way at the, I'm right on the wood line and I'm walking to the, to a corner and I, I get down. I'm probably a hundred yards maybe from the corner and I look up and there's a doe standing right on the, right on the edge of the woods and i'm like oh she sees me and starts mm-hmm. blowing at me and uh so she jumps back across the fence you know jumps in the woods and i'm like well you know dang man spooked her you know she i could have shot her she ain't coming back she might have had a mm-hmm. luck with her you know because it was it was right in the middle of the rut so she jumps across the fence she blows a couple more times and then i wait maybe 30 seconds she blows again. I'm like, just I'm, I'm like I'm thinking I'm like, man, just leave. And then all of a sudden she jumps back into the pasture with me. And I'm like, what is mm-hmm. what is she doing? And then she takes off running. And then right behind her a giant eight yeah. pointer. I mean he's like, he's he, you know, he's right on her tail. And he he comes out, and I could I didn't shoot the deer. I mean I could I, I didn't have an opportunity to. He come out. And he trotted in the pasture. And when he stopped, he was right in between me and the yeah. owner's house. So, so I was like, I'm like, I could shoot you, but if I do, right. I'm going to shoot his house too. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he takes off. I mean, he didn't even know. I mean, I'm standing like 100 yards from him out in the middle of a wide open pasture. And he looks right at me and then looks right back at the doe. And he's just, boom, like he's right on her tail. And he he chases her all the way across the pasture, and uh, but yeah, they a lot of times they do not care, if especially yeah we had a hunt
1: last year. I was hunting with my friend Sean. We went into an area where we were planning on still hunting and kind of scouting our way back in there and just trying to figure out more about the piece. I mean, and how they had kind of shifted since we'd been in there the last time, and it was, I think it was November nineteenth, so it was. Getting towards the end of November, but that's a, that's a time frame that we really, really like. And we were going in and we had kind of started to make our move down into the creek and we were slowing down and we were really starting to slow down. And um, one of us broke a branch. I remember us, both of us, like, and that's something we do a lot is like, you know, if you make a mistake as you're still hunting or moving in. Break something, stop, and just be patient. And when we did that, we broke that branch and a big buck that we had seen earlier in the season jumped up out of his bed, and he wheeled around, and he was looking towards us. And for whatever reason, the way the sun was shining or whatever, I mean, we didn't have cover at all, but we were just standing there. But he jumped up, and I saw him, and I got lucky, and I spotted him in there, and Sean didn't see him right away, but I was like, man, just do not move. Let's see what happens here. Because, like, if he, if he bounds away, you know, we can move up and we can make a move on his next bed. But, you know, our next location he's going to go because it was early in the afternoon. And we ended up sitting there watching him, watching him, watching him. And eventually he just doubled back around and went right back in that same bed. So we sat down, kind of crawled to some cover, got set up and I remember Sean and I discussing, it's like, man, he's got to have a doe in there. Like, I don't know why he would have jumped up like that, and been looking up here. I think what ended up happening is, is he thought we were another buck. And he jumped up to investigate. We spotted him, and then he saw that there was nothing there. He must have just you know, wrote it off, figured it was wind or something making noise, and he went back and laid back down. Now we're like, Fifty yards from this thing, and we know exactly I mean, the exact willow patch that he's in. So we sit there, and we would have liked to have moved closer, but the way the wind was, we were just barely threading the needle. So we were like, well, maybe we could just sit here, get lucky, and maybe he'll come down the trail that you know is close for a shot. Sure enough, as time went on, we started hearing him grunt in there, and we we're like, I have a doe. There's like no no other way that he would even that, you know, that's what got to be what he's doing. And sure enough, you know, the last 45 minutes of daylight, here comes the doe out of the bedding area, and he pops out right behind her. And he's, I mean, he's a big, big buck. And he kind of milled around, followed her. She was just browsing along, and she he just stayed 40 yards away, just a little bit too far, and um, never ended up getting a shot at him, but point of the matter is is, you know we were going slow enough that when we made that noise we just stopped hung loose and it panned out and I mean that just continues to happen to us um I think I think if you're going slow enough whether you're going in to make a setup and bump into deer or if you're still hunting which I'm often doing you know if you bump deer and you just be patient a lot of times the deer aren't actually going to run out of there. I mean, they're, they, a lot of times they don't know what happened, you know, and, and if, especially when you got bucks with does. You know, they're, they're worried about other deer just as much as they're worried about hunting pressure at that point. You know, if a buck's got a doe, he doesn't want other bucks to be around him. So he's going to jump up and try to run him off. And I think a lot of times if you, if you stumble into deer and you accidentally bump them, or, you know, bump into them, if you're patient and you just don't get worked up. Because if we had seen that buck jump up, so what happened was he jumped up and he bounded into, he bounded into a different patch of willows. And if we would have just been like, ah, he's gone, we bumped him and kept walking, he really would have ran. But we just stood there and I glassed that area where he bounded to and ended up seeing him peeking through the brush. And... And he eventually went right back in there. So, And that just continues to happen. I mean, it's happened a bunch of times to us now now that we've been doing this still hunting a lot more. And I think, you know, it just goes to show that oftentimes those deer aren't really running as far as you think they are, especially when you bump them in a light nature. Now, if they smell you, hear you, and see you, they're going to get out of there. But if they just hear something, maybe they just see something, You know, even if they just smell something, I think a lot of times they just—they just kind of, you know, lightly escape the bedding area. They're not really sure what's going on. Now, when they get a visual and they smell you, I think it can be, you know, now now you're talking. They know what you are. You know what I mean? But if you just—if you just—if you just lightly bump them by sound or sight, especially. And they're not, they're not too concerned.
0: Yeah. some I know sometimes I've seen deer, well, actually a lot of times I'll see deer, like I'll be looking at a deer and then for some reason there's another deer that I can't see. Yep. Whether it's, whether it's spooked at me or spooked at something, it'll like, this happened actually just about a week ago. I was watching the deer. He was out there feeding his little buck. And there was another deer just in the woods blowing. Yep. I mean, probably blowed like 10 or 12 times. And that, that little buck, he never even, he never even picked his head up. Like he didn't even care. Yep. And I mean, I don't know why that was, but a lot of times they'll, like you can get right up on them. I know actually that's what I was going to say. It made me think about that. Um, there's a guy that uh, we did a podcast with. His name's is Louis Backless. He does a, uh, he has a really really cool way of getting sneaking up on deer he gets on the horse mm-hmm. and he rides horseback through the woods and basically stalks deer on his horse yeah and uh it's it's pretty cool like he has a lot of success with it 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 kind of it kind of i guess kind of fools the deer a little bit I don't know it's like they don't they don't put two and two together they see the horse and they're just like oh it's just a horse oh, yeah. i guess and then they don't realize that there's somebody sitting on yeah. the horse yeah but, it's
1: crazy it's, But it, that's it's... a that's actually a really good really good idea i mean we've noticed too like even being on a canoe or or even the boat with you know with a motor on it like the deer will hear see you they'll jump up but they never really leave and i mean the buck that i shot in nebraska this year we were driving down an access road. It was perfectly legal to drive through this piece, and it was a long, narrow piece of public land that had a creek running right through the middle of it. And we pulled in, saw that there wasn't a lot of people pulling in there, and we drove down the down the access road because you could basically, basically there was three different parking spots in this piece, and they just the road went right through the middle of it. So we just drove down through it just check, kind of check out the pit place see if there was any sign or see you know see if there's a sign from the road see if there's human sign just kind of get a feel for the area and as we were driving in we jumped you know our vehicle jumped a doe and then a buck that we would have shot and then as we were like kind of turning around cuz i was like hey let's get out of here let's turn around now because that buck that first buck that jumped up, we would have shot him in a heartbeat. And we're like, let's back out of here. He's just spooked by the vehicle. There's probably a really good chance he's just going to loop right back into this bedding area once we're gone. So as we were turning around, a really big buck, which ended up being the one that we shot, jumped up out of the, out of his bed and, you know, kind of did the same thing that the first buck did. So we we literally just went right back down, went right back to the first parking lot, jumped out, walked back to that spot, and as we were approaching the bedding area, I watched that first buck that we jumped go right back in there. I mean, I literally watched him go loop right back from where he had ran to, right back into that bedding area. Ended up sneaking right in the the bedding area with the deer and got really close to shooting that buck that night, but he caught our wind. So we waited a couple days or we actually went back in there the next morning, didn't see much, and then we waited two days. And when we waited two days, we went back in there, crawled up to the bedding area, glassed it, ended up seeing that that biggest buck, and then crawled up to him and shot him as soon as he stood up out of his bed at 19 yards. So, you know, they, they definitely, you know, are, are less spooked by you know, some different mode of transportation for a human rather than somebody just walking in there. You know, if you drive in and they jump up, they're just associated. I don't know necessarily think that they associate vehicles with humans. It's probably the same thing with the horse, same thing with the boats. Yeah. You know, they see something that's not normal. They're going to get up and run, but they don't necessarily, you know, leave completely. A lot of times I think they just get out of there so that they're not standing really close to that, you know, whatever that thing is that spooked them. But then uh, even within that same day, they're going to loop right back to that same bed because again, it worked, right? It worked. They, they were successful right. by escaping.
0: Yep. Yep. I know one thing about the, the horses, I, I talked to Lewis about it and he was saying, cause I asked him about, you know, if he does any kind of scent control or stuff like that, or, and he's, he said, he doesn't use any kind of scent control. He don't even hunt the wind, I don't think. And uh, he said that um, he 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 had heard, or he's heard from a lot of different people and, you know, stuff that, I guess, with him being on that horse and the horse's scent being mm-hmm. in there, it's kind of like that scent from that horse is almost like a calming scent right. to the deer. They don't
1: associate it with and,
0: humans. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it kind of it kind of covers his sin yeah. up as well, so and he i mean he'll literally he can literally like I'm not kidding man he'll he'll literally be on his horse and he'll have deer walk within two feet exactly. of him and just walk right by him and like look at him and then look at the horse and just walk as as they're walking past, just stare at him, and it's just, just like they they are there's this one where he's he like they sneak up on him and his dad or on on the I think they're on two different horses. I can't remember, but they sneak up on this buck, and he's bedded down, and he's literally laying forty yards from them. If that, he might be like twenty yards, and he's literally bedded down, staring right at him, and he don't like the deer. Didn't even Jeez. care. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Like the deer, they just walk right beside the that horses. Is wild. That's <laughs> super wild.
1: Yeah. Does he shoot him right yeah. off the horse? Yeah, dang, that's wild. That's cool. Yeah. that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it's called. He uh, has a YouTube channel. It's called uh, Cross Over the River okay. Outdoors. Uh, punch, it's it's punch pretty. i that
1: in my computer right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. It's really cool. We actually on our YouTube channel, we the podcast I did with him um, on our on our YouTube channel, Strut South uh, YouTube. Uh, you can go and find the episode that we recorded, and we took a lot of his footage and put it on there to as the background, you know, the play during the podcast, yeah. so it's, uh, it's over really the cool. River yeah, I, I believe that's it.
1: What state is he located in?
0: I want to say, New yes, cool. New York. Very cool.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll look but, into uh, that here in a bit.
0: Yeah, it's it's really cool. We should check it out. What that's what made me really want to get into having an episode with him was. I mean, I I've never seen anybody do that type of do that type of stalking, whatever yeah. you want to call it. But uh, but yeah, I think uh, yeah, you can get away with a lot. I remember, you know, you were saying about a canoe. I watched uh, there's one of your one of y'all's videos. You I can't remember who you were with, but y'all y'all had to sit yeah. in that canoe and y'all y'all snuck up on this deer before daylight and y'all realized there was a buck and a doe and it was a gnarly looking buck
1: and y'all had to sit in the canoe and you couldn't get out we went we went into this area the first time we well we had so basically ended up where i ended up where i killed uh the buck with the bow this year the same location but i i had hunted back in there for we've we scouted it all the way back in 2015 for the first time and you know over the years, we have just kind of been piecing putting the pieces of the puzzle together a little bit. It's a hard place to get to, especially when the water is down. Um, you have to walk in and it's either really thick or really steep and it's just kind of an odd just kind of an odd place to access. Let's put it that way. The public land access is really hard to get to, and there's a bunch of, but once you get back there there's a bunch of land to work with and we Ted and I. Originally went in there together. We'd hunted a different location, close off the boat, and as we were leaving that morning, I was like, "Hey, let's roll over here, check this spot out, see if we can get back in there with the water being up a little bit higher, and then if we can, we'll know that we want to come in here and hunt either tonight or the next couple of days." And got back there, saw tons of trails, realized we could take the canoe all the way to the very back of it or you know at least to where we wanted to get to to start hunting it and could see rubs could see sign from the from the boat and backed out of there went back to the house got the canoe ate lunch went back in that afternoon and that afternoon we saw oh man 20 plus deer and a couple couple nice you know couple nice bucks and got close that first night but then few days went by and we were kind of didn't really have the best wind we had some other things that we had to get done so um well Ted had a wedding that he had to go to and everybody else was um just elsewhere at, for the time being that week and Ted had to go to a wedding so I didn't have anybody to go with and he had to wait a couple days and ended up getting the right wind to go back in there and that morning we went in on the boat or on the canoe just like we had done the time before but it was dark and it was a really really cold good you know good weather morning and as we're paddling in we're being dead silent you know we're not making any noise on that canoe but it's really really calm real crisp real hard frost probably the first hard frost that we got all year first or second you know not very late into the frost season you know and and all of a sudden we get back around where we expect to start running into some deer and there are just deer going crazy. I mean, we can hear them plowing across the creek in front of us. I mean, within 50 yards of us just running across that creek, but it's pitch black and we would killed our lights because there was so much moonlight that we didn't want to be, you know, we didn't want to draw any more attention to us than we, than we, um, you know, already were by being out on this water that's kind of glowing, you know, in the moonlight. And we can hear deer moving all around us. I mean, seriously, man, it was crazy grunting. We heard bucks snort-wheezing, chasing, making scrapes. Yeah, I mean, just kind of running all over the place. So I was like, well, Ted, let's just kind of get to a point where we can be ready to move. And we ended up going just a little bit too far because... As it got daylight, like you said, that real gnarly buck was with a doe, and he kind of pinned up against that creek where no other bucks could get downwind of her, downwind of them, and he had her pinned up there, you know, with that water surrounding him. And we were just too close. I mean, they were like forty yards away from us on the bank, just and he was just running other bucks off, and we were sitting in the middle of that creek, almost no cover. Luckily, we were wearing ghillie suits, but my canoe is red. Like, hit a red <laughs> canoe, and we're just sitting right out in the open, but we were not moving an inch, and it was miserable. For, like, two hours, we sat there on that canoe. It was really cool to watch, but it was very uncomfortable to sit on that plastic canoe and just sit there and watch them in that cold and just sat there. And the sun came up behind us, which also helped, you know, because I, I think they were looking into the sun enough that they couldn't really see us. They would look at us, but they never, you know, they never got worried, and they eventually kind of bumped off. They eventually, but the doe eventually got uncomfortable because I started getting impatient after a couple hours. I was like, "We got to do something." So I started slowly pushing the canoe back, and she got up and just slowly worked off. So we expected again, again, kind of what I was talking about earlier. They're just going to move to the next bedding location, and and in this situation, it was about. Four or 500 yards away. And we hunted that, or the, and Ted had to leave. Ted, That was when Ted was going to Missouri to meet up with Aaron so they could start that part of our deer tour was the Missouri trip. So he left. He literally took the canoe, paddled back to his car, got his car. I sat there to make sure that the buck didn't leave the bedding area that we thought he was going to be in. I sat there for the next couple hours, and then Jake was coming back from Wisconsin that day. Jake drove back to the canoe, jumped in the canoe, and met me at about 1 or 2 o'clock, and then we moved into that bedding area where we sus- suspected that they had gone to, which is a decent chunk away, like I said, four or 500, 500 plus yards. And we moved in there on him, and sure enough, that's exactly where he was. We didn't get him that night, but we saw him, and we knew right where he had went to bed saw another one you know another buck in there really mature buck and the next morning we went right back in there again still using that canoe access we're really making low impact because we're coming in by water we're not leaving you know a bunch of ground set in this area we got in there got set up saw that same buck going to that same bedding area that next morning so later that afternoon we moved a little bit further in there a little bit closer to where the intersection from you know we're kind of they were moving from bedding area to food source more or less and we were in between two bedding areas and we got lucky and that buck came came by following a doe and got a shot at him at about 28 30 or yard, 30 yards somewhere in there and, and it all panned out but here's a situation where you know kind of all the things that we've talked about kind of came together it's like we found an area where nobody's hunting. Found creative access for it. Continued to hunt the area even after we, you know, nudged that buck with the doe, kind of lightly bumped him. We just pushed back another, you know, another step into the the bedding area. Found, you know, continued to be on that same exact buck, and then ended up shooting a different one. But you know, we were just in the right area, making the right. Making the right moves by accessing by that canoe. I mean, the, the day that we shot that buck, we were sitting three yards from the red canoe. I mean, we'd basically paddled all the way to the spot, jumped out, set up on a number you know, of intersecting trails, and, you know, got, got lucky and the buck came through. But you know, here's a situation where we've basically taken all the steps that we want to take. You know, when we feel really confident, we felt confident that night. You know, it was like, we know nobody's back here. We got creative access. There's tons of deer. You know, there's does all over the place back here. And we just got lucky and really caught that first wave of really, really good rut activity for that area. And, you know, managed to pull it off and shoot a buck on October 30th, which, you know, was kind of the main goal this year was to, at least for me, was to fill my tag in October. So and it ended up panning out pretty well sweet
0: yeah uh and another thing uh i noticed you did which all of you guys do it a lot but i think you probably do it more than the rest of you guys but um you like ground hunting mm-hmm. a lot and uh if you could and then to so me like i love i love hunting on the ground yes. i know i know there's I mean, I hunt in deer stand probably more now than I used mm-hmm. to, but I remember, I remember, man, there'd be days where, and this was like when I had property. This is the way when I was young, you know, and I couldn't mm-hmm. actually go and hunt public land. Um, but there'd be days where if I had a big piece, a big enough piece to hunt, I would just go sit on the ground somewhere, sit there for 30 minutes, maybe an hour, get up and move hundred 200 yards to another spot sit down again and i remember this one morning i saw like i want to say like maybe 16 different deer Mm -hmm. i think i saw maybe five or six different bucks and and to see that many deer here on a place that doesn't have like a big ag field or something like that that's that's a lot Mm -hmm. of deer and uh but It's a lot of deer for if anywhere. You could, well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, unless you were hunting on a really big uh, soybean field, maybe an hour or something sure. one evening. Sure. But uh, uh, if you could, like, talk a little bit about ground hunting and, like, what what do you think it's... Um, Benefits are, maybe? Yeah, maybe What? why is that better sometimes than getting in a stand? Well,
1: I like it. I mean, the main... The main thing that I've kind of boiled it down to, or the main points, I guess, that I've boiled it down to over the last couple of years as I started to transition more and more into the ground hunting, you know, I really started doing it for the first time in 2016. In that season, I kind of, the main reason that I did it is I was, I was working at Midwest Whitetail and I was filming Bill um, throughout the season and there was only a few days that I would get to hunt. Um, like, especially in October and then early November, I essentially, essentially early, the first 10 days of November, I didn't hunt at all. I don't, I actually don't think that I did. I think I hunted November 1st and then that was it. And then, you know, until Bill had filled his second tag, but I didn't have a lot of time in October. A lot of times I was going to his house and doing work and then, um, going, you know, having a couple hours in the afternoon um, and I didn't have a lot of time to go in and, you know, really take the time to get a good stand set up. And especially with two guys filming, you know, we didn't have a lot of time for it. So I started hunting on the ground because I thought it was, you know, a little bit quicker. You get in and out easier. And, um, you know, as time went on, I just learned more and more about doing it. And um, I would say the first year that I did it, it was made a lot of silly mistakes. The second year we did it still made some silly mistakes, but started kind of getting a feel for what we were doing. And the big thing that I think, or, you know, I guess the thing that I think it gives you such an advantage of is you don't have this like point B. So like, if you go in with the mentality of, okay, I'm going to take my stand in and I'm going to go and I'm going to get set up um, and I'm going to set up on this one exact location. And you have that in your head. I think a lot of people have the tendency, myself included, to just, like, tr- like feel this, like, absolute need to get there. You're going from your vehicle, point A, to point B, you're set up. And even if you're doing a hanging and hunt and you don't know the exact tree, you're still trying to get to this location and get set up at, with enough time to, you know, let everything calm back down, get, you know, have deer filter through, you know, all that. But... When you're hunting on the ground and you're going in with this mentality of, okay, I'm just hunting deer and I'm going to just feel it out as I go. What ends up happening is you get a lot more time scouting when the sign is actually hot. So a lot of times what we're doing when we're going into these areas, especially when we're going into them for the first time, is we're, we're still hunting bedding areas from bedding area to bedding area, and it may not be a super long way. You know, maybe in a given hunt we're only going 300 yards, but we're getting info by continuing to move. You know, maybe we set up for a little bit. Maybe we see some deer and we move up to where they were. We set up there for a little bit, and then, you know, it kind of dies off. And we keep moving kind of closer to the bedding area. We're reading sign constantly. So, I think when you get from the, the issue with stand is, in my opinion, is you go in and you get to a spot to set up, but then you're risking being in an area where there actually isn't hot sign. You may not be that far off, but 150 yards when you're bow hunting is a long way, and that's a long way. You don't want to end up 150 yards away from where all the hot sign is, where all the deer are working through. Whether they're bedding there, whether they're feeding there, whether they're staging, whatever they're doing, you don't want to be 150 yards off. What I feel like hunting off the ground has eliminated is a lot of those hunts that I feel when you take a step back and you look at them, you know, you wasted. You remember? If you remember, I said a little bit ago, um, I would rather spook one and learn from it than I would than I would go in, set up my tree stand, and then not see anything. Um, I don't want to do that. I don't, wanna, I don't want to hunt and feel like I wasted a sit by not seeing anything. Like I said, I'd rather watch a big buck's flag go up and watch his, you know, watch his big rack run over the hill than I would sit there and not see anything and feel not have confidence in the spot that I'm at because there's no sign there. But if I'm still hunting, I can sneak around these bedding areas and I can learn more for the next time. And sometimes the next next time's tomorrow. Sometimes it's that afternoon. Sometimes you're just basing little, you know, setup shifts off of, you know, the way this – what sign you're seeing as you're going in. And I feel that by having a point B, by having a setup in mind, you're hindering that ability to, um, you know, really just adjust quickly to sign. Right, yeah. <clears throat> I think um... – And now – one other thing I'll throw out real quickly, and we don't have to dive into it a ton right now, but another th- reason that I do it is when I was growing up in Ohio, um, we have a lot of the, tree, the the nature of the way trees grow east where there's more logging um, is a lot different than the way they grow here in Iowa or Missouri or Wisconsin even. You know, you see um, in Illinois, you know, you see a lot as you go west um you see a lot more shrubby type trees you get these trees that have this really good cover you know for tree stand setups and therefore you spook a lot more deer or a lot less deer being set up in a tree stand than what you would do hunting out of these you know straighter trees that grow I think more more frequently in the east and when I was growing up I used to get in these tree stands, like using a climber, for example, I'd get way up there because that's what you had to do to get out of the line of sight of the deer. And in turn, that would create these bad shot angles. And I just, you know, I just really, really disliked that. And I, once I started coming over here to, or, you know, hunting here in Iowa, it was like, man, it's like, you know, getting in a lower tree stand is so much better of a shot angle and that you had the ability to do that. But then it took it one step further and started hunting on the ground. And now all of a sudden your shot angle is like shooting at a 3D target. I mean, you have so many more options to shoot at a deer with a bow on the ground than you do out of a tree stand, hands down. I mean, in my opinion, you can't argue me with that. Like when you're on the ground, you have so much more opportunity to hit the vitals with your bow than you do from being in a tree stand because when you're up and you're elevated that angle shrinks that kill zone right it, it it just straight up does but when you're on the ground a lot more things are in your favor because you've got a so much better angle at eye level and really for me and we talk about it often i mean we're not we're not olympic shooters out here i mean we all get buck fever we all want to make you know a good ethical shot and we all want to be as close to the deer as possible. I mean, if I could shoot every deer at five yards broadside. I would. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And and <clears throat> that's that's really one of the reasons main reasons that I started doing it too, is I just really do like that shot angle. I mean, man, when there's a bucket twenty yards on the ground and he's broadside, I mean, that's like you're shooting out in the backyard. Yeah. You know? It's like you don't even think about it. You just draw back and you, and you smoke him, you know. It's so much – It's so, and there's a lot of times there's a lot less, you know, room for air. There's not these limbs hanging out. Like when you hang and hunt, a lot of times you get up in a tree and you're like, oh, man, I was I, I got set up on these trails, but I got no shot at them because I got a bunch of limbs in the way. And you may get yourself in a position where you got to crouch weird in the stand, getting these weird, you know – i guess your body's just in a weird weird spot that you're not planned you know you don't you don't practice that way but now that i've started hunting on the ground i practice well i've always done this i guess i practice in some pretty strange ways i mean i shoot a lot of you know targets at 20 yards crouched on the ground or hiding behind a bush and you know practicing in the yard behind one of the you know in the in the flower bed basically hiding behind a bush shooting behind that and kind of reaching around a tree i practice for a lot more of that because i know that you know those are likely situations i'm going to be in and again i just feel like that shot angle is really good i mean i on the ground for example if you have a buck walk right at you you know versus walking right to the base of your tree if he's walking at you and he gets 10, 15 yards away, you can shoot him right in the front and you can hit him right in the heart. I mean, you've got a, you have a very, very lethal shot of a head on deer where you don't have that in in a tree stand. You know, you can take a quartering two shot a little bit better. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm I'm saying in very, very close range situations, you have that opportunity. You don't have that as much when you're in a tree stand. And I think, you know, you just have always, you always have a better access to the vitals on the ground than you do a stand.
0: Yeah, I will agree. I I know we, I hunted in Missouri one time and mm-hmm. it was up in northern Missouri. We were just south of Iowa border and yeah, y'all got some, uh, y'all got some really weird trees up there compared to down yeah. here. And oh yeah, we, yeah, it's it's totally different. We went up there and <laughs> there was three of us. We went up there and we had our stands, you know, we had some walk ons and we were all fired up and we get up there and like it took us forever to figure out, Oh man, the, the, what tree are we gonna put these stands in? Right. <laughs> because I mean you'd find a tree, you'd see one and you'd go, Oh, there's a good tree and you'd walk, and get to it and then it's going one way than the other then it's like <laughs> it's like man this is crazy <laughs> but uh oh yeah but yeah and i think i think hunting on the ground too i think it actually helps you more with scent control i think
1: yes. yeah I, oh yeah yeah yeah
0: i think it um i think it covers your scent a lot better
1: yeah, man, you're, that's the a, you're, actually the, you're actually the first person that has ever brought that up before, that, before I have. Yes, I agree 100%. I think you get up elevated in a tree, think about how much – if you got a 15-mile-an-hour wind and you're putting that scent 20 foot up in a tree, think about how much further it's going to go than if you're on the ground and it's just blowing right into vegetation. Yeah, yeah. You know, it gets sucked into that vegetation and it just kind of stops. I mean, I walk around – we all do – Everywhere we go, we have a huge wad of milkweed in our, in our pocket. And I carry it right off my hip in my fanny pack, and I literally am dropping that stuff constantly. And one thing that I know for sure is that scent does not go as far as it does when you get up in a stand. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. And I think, and I mean, I'm, I'm not a scent control guy, like an actual, like, you know, go through any sort of regimen where I clean my – body and clothes in any specific way I mean I'm I'm a pretty grimy dude when it comes to hunting because we're just so busy during that time frame that I don't have time to wash my clothes and take a scent-free shower and you know make sure my clothes are all in a box I mean I'm I'm as I'm as carefree about it as you can get I mean I pump my I pump gas in my hunting clothes like I go to the store in hunting clothes so
0: yeah
1: as far as you know actually putting any thought into controlling how i smell i don't do any of it but i you know we all play the wind more than anything and i think one thing that i've definitely learned being on the ground is you can eliminate a lot of a lot of mistakes scent wise by just you know putting yourself in a situation where your scent can't travel that far i mean you know every bit of vegetation deters that wind in some fashion and it just if you got enough a lot of times we set up in, um, well, just generally speaking, I mean, we're in thick vegetation areas when we set up on the ground, and that scent just isn't traveling that far. It just, it, I mean, you're exactly right. It, it, It is easier to control where that scent's blowing when you're on the ground than when you're in a tree.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, plus you got, I mean, plus you're you're sitting directly on the ground, too, so you also got a little bit of cover scent there with the dirt and the leaves and all that yep. stuff, so... Yeah, um, I think. Um, oh, gosh, well, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I think I don't. I'm not really a big scent control guy either. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually not a scent control really at all. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm,
1: kind, I'm kind of. I hunt I'm the wind. Kind of anti-scent control. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I, I hunt the wind, and and I I know mm-hmm. we we all know that deer can smell better than just about anything out there. We all know that. Yep. And if they smell you, then yeah, they're, you're going to be it's sober. over. But it's, it's scientifically proven that you can never be a hundred percent scent free. So, <laughs>
1: yep. I mean, a Done deal for me. That's yeah, good enough. And, but I'm not going to argue the science. Yeah. I
0: mean, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, yeah, of course, I can see the debate about scent control. I've, we've got one of our guys. One of our guys. He is a, I mean, diehard scent control freak. I mean, he really. This
1: guy stressed me out.
0: <laughs> if he, if he could, if if he, if he had the means, he would buy a separate washer and dryer just for his hunting clothes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. but I mean, and I get it. I mean, I, and I don't. I don't, I'm not, it don't make me angry at him, but I just, to me, I can't, I can't do it. Like, cause you can't justify it, right? You
1: can't justify the time spent. And I think, I think for me, like what I mean by it stresses me out is like, it's like, I, I, again, I, and I agree. I don't have anything against it. And here's where I think that it could come into handy. And, and I think that most people, if you really are looking at the science of it, you got, you almost have to come to this conclusion, right? It's like, Maybe if you control your scent to the max. I mean, you got every precaution that you could take possibly take. You may you may save yourself like a couple seconds, one out of every twenty sits. But like to me, it's not worth those extra seconds to waste a bunch of time hours or hours looking of at preparation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could be looking at a map. I could be, I could be shooting my bow. I could be doing all kinds of different things to, you know, fine tune my, my skill set. I can be focusing on other things versus spending time doing that. Now to the guys that, to the guys that do it, I don't have a problem with it at all. I mean, I, but I just feel like to a certain degree, it's a waste of time, effort and money to buy these products and spend the time to do it. When at the end of the day, I mean, man, you don't know what a deer can smell. I mean maybe it doesn't save you time maybe it does maybe it saves you maybe it saves you you know maybe the guy that does it is going to have more opportunities than me who doesn't do it but at the end of the day i mean i guess i i feel that um i feel that i would rather you know focus my time on different skills than you know and and we all think that i mean we all are exactly the same way i mean dude i don't shower sometimes when we're hunting like when we're on these trips and stuff and we're at a, some random campground somewhere, I mean, we won't shower for five, 10 days sometimes. Yeah. And I mean, it's gross. I mean, it's not the ideal situation. You don't want to be around your wife or girlfriend when you're doing that. But, like, <laughs> it, but, but it's real. I mean, it's reality. Yeah. You're on yeah. a trip hunting trip with your buddies. Like you guys are primitive camping somewhere. It's like, hell, you don't have time to, you don't have time to take a shower and wash your clothes every day. And we get, we actually get a fair amount of questions. Of people you know writing into us saying hey you know what do you guys do and and I I just want I I guess my thing with the scent control deal is I want people to not be stressed out about it because I used to stress myself out about it I used to do it and since I've stopped doing it I haven't seen any change and I actually have seen a change in the amount of deer I see I see more (laughs) I (laughs) I, I just feel like I've since i've given up on that i've spent more time focusing on how to play the wind correctly and in turn seen more bucks more mature bucks more deer in general since i've given it up on it and learned how to play the wind a lot better
0: yeah yeah and i, I don't i don't want anybody listening i don't want anybody to think that i'm knocking it either cuz i mean i like it i i do use cover scent i mean we yeah. we have a we have cover scent that we use And, uh, I mean, that stuff is dynamite. We use white oak acre scent Mm -hmm. and we use a bedding scent and, uh, it is, it is dynamite stuff, but, uh, and -hmm. it works, but I just, I can't, I can't get on the scent control train. Right.
1: I would agree. I would agree a (sighs) hundred percent.
0: Um, well, speaking of that, I don't, I think you guys have mentioned it before. I think I'd heard, but
1: y'all don't really use a whole lot of like deer scents, do you? We don't really do, as far as sense go. Um, we're pretty, we're we're minimalists in general. I mean, I guess gearing up for a hunt. This is pretty much how it goes. You know, you've either slept in your clothes, half your clothes, the night before. You get up, you put on this dirty ghillie suit that we've been wearing for the last three years, never been washed. We get up and we throw a fanny pack on and 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 stuff whatever else we can in our pockets and we're on our way i mean we don't really we don't really use trail cameras that often i mean i don't own a trail camera i haven't ran a trail camera in three years um you know i don't i barely take any calls i take the grunt call and a during the rut i take a rattle bag um you know have a knife and flashlight and that's about it i mean that's in you know in your tag and that's I mean, in a bow and range finder binos, and that's it i mean we're we have it pretty we have a system down I would say at this point that's very 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 minimalist and even now we've started using the or the the guys that hunt out of trees more they they use the saddles now, so like we're not even packing stands in anymore just just climbing sticks so yeah, I think you know as far as bringing anything extra that's i or i guess as far as sense we just don't do it just simply because we don't like bring it it's just more stuff to worry about
0: yeah i agree i mean to me i mean i'm i'm a i'm kind of a mentalist myself i mean i i that's all i do i mean i've i've got me a little book book bag you know camo book bag i put my yeah i've got a grunt call in it and a rattling bag and um a couple other things in there but I never use them hardly, and but I always yeah. I always bring them with me because I'm like I may need it. Yep.
1: <laughs> well, then... yeah, and I think I think <clears throat> some of those things are some of the things are important. You know, I think having a grunt call and a rattle bag, especially when the deer are rutting, or, or really any time of the year, it can be important. It can help you a little. You know, in some situations. I mean, I will say this: we've we all carry a grunt call every time to the woods, and not a single one of us have grunted a bucket in this year. So yeah, yeah, you know it is it it is what it is. But I think it's worth having those some things. And I think if there's one thing, not to totally not not to switch any gears or anything, but one thing that I, 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 and I see a lot of young guys and and just people with not you know less experience, I guess, not doing enough of is glassing. I think if. I think people that don't carry binos into the woods are nuts. Like I I depend on binoculars more than I depend on my rangefinder. Yeah. Like I I I need binos. I almost won't go hunting if I forget them. Mm-hmm. And it stresses me out to no end. And I I see like um you know hunting with younger people and people that just haven't haven't bow hunted as long as is you know, maybe Aaron, Greg, and I have like consistent thing that I see a lot of young guys do, and it's not use their binos when they need to be using them. You know, if you if you have it, if you have them, you gotta be using them, in my opinion. And I see that's one thing I basically will not leave the the truck without is my binoculars. And a good example of that, and and I'm not and I'm not picking on them. I mean, we've talked about it, but I hunted with my my he's my best friend from from Ohio. i went back home and i hunted and we did we had five videos on our channel of us hunting in ohio and one of the things that like he was stressing me out doing was not glassing it's like ben you've got to glass you've got to continue to glass because if we're moving in on these deer you know you got to know where they're at and you, a lot of times you just can't see it with your eyes you know and i think yeah I think that's one thing that I've realized this year, hunting with some new, you know, some new people, hunting with people that I haven't hunted with for a while. It's like that would be my a huge piece of advice that I have is like get get us a pair of binos. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Something that's going to improve your vision and use them. Yep. Because there's so many times that I've been walking through the wood, you know, still hunting through the woods, glassed an area and caught a flicker of a tail or caught a tine, you know, sticking out of the grass or, you know, just spotted something that my eyes naturally I can't do with just <clears> my eyes. And I think, I think that not taking advantage of a resource that you have is very, very detrimental.
0: Yeah. I, I think they're actually, I mean, i I always have my binoculars too. And even when I'm, even during gun season when I have a rifle with a scope, oh. on it, I still have yeah. them. And I think it's even, binoculars are even better i mean it might be simple and people are like well yeah duh but at first thought you're like oh well we're gonna be able to see 400 yards in this pasture we need some binoculars right. but i think binoculars are even better in in the woods oh yeah like you get oh, yeah. a, a lot more out of them if you're hunting in the mm-hmm. woods than you do if you're you know just looking glass in a pasture oh yeah
1: i there i mean man it, that buck, that that buck, that uh, well. Here's another here's another example that I'll use, and again, I'm not picking on anyone. It's just a something that I've observed lately is like, we spotted that buck. It was the buck that I talked about back at the beginning, where we were still hunting in, looked over, saw him standing up out of, or stood up out of his bed, and then he bedded back down. Well, we ended up moving in on him later towards dark, and I was filming. I was trying to work the camera, you know, making sure how I was going to get the footage of what was about to happen. And as we moved in on the deer, I kept, I was trying to get Logan to glass the deer more, or, you know, glass in that area more, and he wasn't doing it. And we ended up getting too close, and he bumped out of there and, you know, never really gave us a shot. And, you know, as we were kind of recapping just between us, I said, you know, one thing that I would have done differently is just been glassing a lot more. And here's a situation where we're less than seventy yards from this buck the whole time, and we're still talking about glassing. I mean, anything to—I mean, anything to zoom your own vision in and get a different perspective is going to help you. Because had we been moving in, we were going plenty slow enough. Had we been going in and got eyes on the deer before he got eyes on us, we would have easily been able to make a move to get in position to shoot him. And I watched, him. again, not picking on Logan, but if he would have been, he never glassed him once. And I'm I'm running the cameras, glassing over the top of the camera, trying to see him, but I'm trying to do too much at once. And it, I never did spot him until it was too late. But, you know, had he been glassing in, I really think, I really think that the the situation could have ended up differently. And it's a good learning point, right? I think for both of us, it's like, okay, we really, really got to make a point next time. Because, you know, I wasn't doing it enough either. It's like, we really got to make a point to be glassing as we're moving in. Because had we seen that deer's tine sticking out of that grass as he was bedded there, we would have, I mean, we really, really easily could have made a, a better move on him. And I think that that... Ultimately, is why we didn't shoot that buck.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we're uh, we're pretty good ways into this here now, but I'll hit a. We'll talk about one more thing, and then sure. we'll start winding it down. Um, so, and we kind of I think we said something about this, maybe very briefly, briefly about. December and the rut and all that stuff right at the very beginning of the episode, but um, it is the first week of December. And Mm -hmm. I think the big question pretty much everywhere, unless you're in Alabama is, you know, what's what's going on with the deer where the rut is and all that stuff. Um, What are you guys probably going to be doing here for the the month of December?
1: Well, our gun season tactics kind of weather, and, and, and really they kind of, well, let's put it this way. When we're gun hunting, there's a couple different strategies that we're using. Um, one is, is we're letting, you know, aggressive gun hunting tactics, you know, pressure deer into specific areas. And we're hunting, essentially hunting escape routes. So when you hit a weekend of a gun season um, and you get a high in you know, influx of pressure, those, those bucks are going to be oftentimes escaping that hunting pressure. So a lot of times we set up on that, um, and that's kind of the, so like, for example, tomorrow our second season opens, so I'm going to be hunting again. I'll be the person, you know, the guy with the tag. Jake and I will have tags starting tomorrow for the next week. And on the weekends, like especially Saturdays, we really, really focus on hunting escape routes. So when we know there's going to be, you know, that weekend pressure coming in, we'll get super, you know, or our our strategy will revolve around, you know, escape routes. Like how are these deer going to get pressured and how are they going to bail out of there and how can we intercept that? So that's kind of tactic one, especially when like you have that opening day pressure and weekend pressure. Now when there's not, you know, it's not, the weekend or opening day what we're trying to do then is we're trying to find areas that like a lot of times at this point in the season are way back there you know getting really really deep in there and we're still looking for we're still looking for some you know where basically nobody has been and we're still looking for a high density of does because here we are in the first week of december and I think a lot of people just automatically, you know, it's no longer, the calendar no longer says November, so automatically disregard any rut movement. And I think that that's not the right thing to do. I mean, we yeah, yeah. we got a buck a couple of days ago, and he was 100% cruising from bedding area to bedding area. He was by himself, nose to the ground the whole time, cruising. So I think, you know, as far as rut strategy goes, you're still going to be thinking about it, in the same sense as you would be in late November. I mean, the bucks are still going to be up doing stuff. They're not done rutting until the last doe is bred. And even in our area, Greg just spotted a doe or a fawn back in November that was in spots. And if you calculate that back, I mean, she had the doe that gave birth to that fawn had to have been bred all the way into February, I mean, that's our season has been closed for a good month at that point.
0: So, yeah, one of our guys, one of our guys, Justin, he he had a phone. And uh, I want to say the first first week of November had spots down yeah. here.
1: Yep. And that's that's when Greg saw that that phone too, first week of November. So, I mean, you're talking about a, a, a late, <laughs> a late rut for that to happen. And I think, you know, you always have to have that in the back of your mind a little bit you know at this point in the season bucks still want to be around a high density of does i mean there's been plenty of times i've been walking around in christmas time or early january and started finding bedding areas that have tons of fresh big scrapes around them if you're finding stuff like that that's definitely something you want to key in on and i think one of the ways that you can be effective doing that is being on the ground being mobile whether you're whether you're going to set up a tree stand or not i think you have to be moving around trying to find that stuff and you can still find it it gets harder and harder to find but when you find it man you're i mean you're going to have encounters with bucks
0: yeah yeah I, I mean i we see sign down here you know in february when we're scouting getting ready for turkeys you know our uh-huh. our turkeys our turkey season comes in you know third weekend of march most of the time so you know february we're we're really starting to gear up and starting to scout some for turkeys and uh we we see a lot of fresh sign like rubs scrapes stuff like that in february so
1: yep yeah and i think that i think that just goes to show that you know i guess here's here's a simple here's a simple way to put it if bucks are hard horned between the time they shed their velvet to the day that they shed their antlers they're thinking about those. i mean they've got they've got the tools they've got the tools to be rutting you know they can fight off other bucks i mean that's their antlers are rut
0: yep yep i agree i agree you definitely um you definitely got to be ready for anything i mean all season i think i think you got to be ready to expect rutting activity not necessarily expect it but don't don't put it out of the you know realm of possibility because they they are still they're still really you know searching for those does well as I said guys at the very beginning um, this is the part that kinda got cut off and I just wasn't gonna bother Zach with getting back on here trying to redo the uh, the outro basically but um yeah I, I really i think that was a great episode zach got a lot of great info and uh, a lot of great stories to tell from their from their experience of hunting public land and stuff and so if you guys you want to check these guys out go on facebook um their biggest platform is probably youtube they are uh, i mean they put videos up every single day nearly every single day and uh these guys get after it and they do a lot of stuff man and they're awesome they're really informative so you guys go check these guys out and uh, give them a like man we really appreciate zach coming on here we really appreciate the hunting public and uh you guys stay safe and keep hunting